Welcome back, folks. This is Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. The other partner is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, and she's sitting across the table from me today. Welcome back, Elizabeth. It's nice to see you again. Thanks, Robert. Happy to be here. That makes that makes it sound like we only see each other once a week when we do podcasts. We actually do see each other a little bit more often than that, like maybe every hour of every day or something like that. It's a lot of time. <laughs> Um, Elizabeth, I thought maybe this week we could talk. We do this in our newsletter from time to time, and we have done it once or twice in the podcast. I don't really want to emphasize it too much, but it does seem to me that we could talk about a celebrity case that impinges on what we do and and that makes us ask some questions. And I particularly have in mind Diane Feinstein's recent um, public tra- trouble, troubles about uh, about her declining condition and and uh, and the lawsuit and litigation about administration of a trust, her role as a co-trustee, her daughter's use of a power of attorney. I, I want to be very clear that we don't actually know anything beyond what we read. Um, Diane Feinstein has, so far as we know, nothing to do with Arizona law. This is all California law. And so we're not trying to generalize about her condition or her situation, but her story makes me think about a lot of the kinds of things that we deal with on a more or less daily basis. With all those caveats, are you game to to take a run at what you've read about Diane Feinstein? I am, Robert, and I guess one other caveat to put out there. Today, we're not going to be talking about what our thoughts are with respect to Senator Feinstein and and her continuing service in her capacity as a senator. We're just talking about the estate planning as it relates to her and what has been really more public as far as the media goes and, as you mentioned, this lawsuit. And and the words durable financial power of attorney don't appear in news reports all that often, so it gives us a chance to talk about that particular kind of document. So one of the things that I note, and maybe we can go back and forth about the things that we observe about the stories. One of the things that I note is no one is telling us, or at least I haven't seen anything that indicates whether the power of attorney is what we call a springing power of attorney or a what's often called a surviving power of attorney. I can infer from the articles that I've read that it's probably the latter. So it probably says, I give my daughter the power to make decisions for me and handle my affairs, even though I am not now incapacitated, and that power survives if I become incapacitated. A lot of the commentary about her daughter's use of the power of attorney has suggested that if Dianne Feinstein can't even manage her own personal affairs, her lawsuit and her her quarrel with her stepchildren, then what business does she have sitting in the Senate? And assuming that it is a durable, surviving power of attorney, those are really unrelated issues. Correct. And, you know, Robert, I'm 39 years old and I have a surviving power of attorney. So there are a couple of different reasons why. I elected to create a document that is surviving rather than springing. One of them is because in terms of the day-to-day running and management of this practice and different business interests that I have, it's important that my agent be able to step in in the event that I'm simply out of town and an original signature is needed. There are things in terms of my day-to-day that are important 
just to make sure that happened. And so one thing that I thought about when creating this document years ago was, well, I don't want to have to have my agent go get a doctor's letter to show that I'm incapacitated in order to help sign something on my behalf if it really needs to be done. And um, there are circumstances where wet ink is still required. And so I'm probably a good candidate as a younger person to to talk about how useful having a surviving power of attorney can be. I think your observation reading between the lines in this particular case is, is probably correct. I think just to set the framework for everybody, um, Senator Feinstein and, and her husband, now deceased, had a blended family, so children from earlier relationships. And I think at this point, a lot of the news articles that are being written talk a little bit about the interplay and the complexities of that kind of a blended family dealing with different types of assets. And so one of the things that's come to the surface has been Senator Feinstein's uh, daughter and her activity as her mother's agent with respect to this kind of ongoing family drama. And another one of the elements you allude to there is there's a, a tr- apparently a trust established by her late husband for her benefit during her life and then ultimately to distribute to presumably his children, maybe her children as well. We, again, we don't have the details, um, but uh, that's a pretty ordinary circumstance, isn't it, Elizabeth? A lot of blended families have trust arrangements like that. We see that a lot, Robert. So even if you have husband and wife, and each of them, they may have even signed a prenup, may have separate property, they may have separate property trusts. There may be arrangements regarding joint assets or regarding uh, planning once one of them dies that involve the decedent's estate somehow being used for the survivor's benefit. That's not uncommon at all. And, and in fact, we encourage families to think a little bit about that because when there are not clear plans, it's especially difficult for two sets of kids who haven't grown up together, who don't know each other, to figure out how to resolve some of what can be very sticky, delicate family issues. One of the things that, again, inferring from the news articles that, that we've seen, one of the things that stands out to me is that apparently her husband's, her late husband's trust named her and one or more of her stepchildren as co-trustees. And that's also a pretty common arrangement. We often do that. We often are asked to do it. I always worry that the kind of problem that has apparently arisen will arise in that situation where I understand the motivation for the person who's establishing the trust. I want to make sure that my kids and my and my wife, soon to be widow, will, um, will work together and have to talk things out and sort things out. But it's my experience in the real world that that working things out more often fails than succeeds. And it's usually incredibly stressful. I mean, you've got a grieving spouse, you've got a grieving child. They may not actually have much of a personal relationship aside for their love for the decedent. And yeah, I mean, it can create kind of a perfect storm. I think that in looking at some of the issues surrounding Senator Feinstein and and what's going on with the disputes related to the estate, you see different notes around, you know, providing for her care. And as you and I both know, Robert, you know, care is expensive. And when we talk about care plans and expense, 
we're not just talking about hiring a caregiver or team of caregivers. In many cases, people need to have changes made to their homes to make them safer so that people can stay in their homes. Um, talk, having conversations around transportation. If you can't be driving anymore, um, your caregiver may or may not be the one to be driving you around. There, there are a whole litany of different issues that relate to trying to provide for a spouse. Um, and I think some of that seems to be going on. How much money is enough money is a question that doesn't have any good answer. And related to that, some of the commentary that I've seen suggests that, well, because Senator Feinstein is gets very good insurance coverage and is wealthy in her own right, what business does she have using her late father, husband's uh, assets, which takes it effectively out of the hands of his children? So they're saying, hey, our father meant this money to come to us. She doesn't need it. Well, that's not necessarily what the trust says. Is it? I mean, we don't know what the trust says. But it would be pretty common to say, regardless of the surviving spouse's ability to pay for their own care, this trust should be used for their care. Robert, are you dancing around the word entitlement? <laughs> um, well, you know, as a 70-plus-year-old white man, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a scary word. Oh Well, I only bring up the word because I think we oftentimes see some sense of entitlement, rightfully, wrongfully, whatever that means, when we look at kids, when there's money tied up for the benefit of the surviving spouse, they're kind of sitting around and they feel like they helped their parent through life and the parents died and, and now, you know, maybe they should be rewarded for doing the right thing and trying to be supportive children. And But hold on, they can't actually receive anything from their parents' estate until the stepmother or the stepfather or whoever dies, it, it can create kind of a nasty atmosphere. And um, yeah, tender things, I think, for probably both families and, and really no, no good answers. Uh, and, you know, you allude to something that isn't implicated in Senator Feinstein's case, but is often implicated. And that's where the surviving spouse is closer in age to the children than to the deceased spouse. So somebody says, I'm going to leave my husband or wife the access to the money for the rest of their life, and then it'll go to my kids. Except when your surviving spouse finally dies, your children might be in their 70s or 80s. And um, and that creates a completely different dynamic. Without knowing anything about the personalities involved, except what we read, Elizabeth, would you have... Uh, wanted to see the possibility of an outside trustee perhaps administering the trust? I think an independent trustee is probably something to have considered. I think that another thing that I'm wondering now is if people will be able to come together, sing kumbaya, and do a family agreement um, that may hold things together long enough for Senator Feinstein to lead out the rest of her life in peace without uh, the bickering going on around her. So I think there are different solutions, Robert, and, and um, all, all a, a tent, like I said, a tender thing. And when we meet with families and talk about estate planning, and the reality is nobody has a crystal ball, we think about making estate plans functional. So they shouldn't just look good in the beautiful binder that we give you. They should actually be ready and be useful when the rubber meets the road. And we talk to people about that, and sometimes those conversations are really uncomfortable, Robert, but if they don't happen, 
when somebody has capacity and can actually understand them and grasp the different implications, um, it, sometimes it's too late to to recast the documents and, and think about them differently amid amid drama. Well, again, I want to be very clear that we do, we have no particular insight into Senator Feinstein's legal or personal woes. Uh, we just were struck by how how many of the elements of our daily practice seem to be implicated in the stories that we're reading and, and how hard it is to figure out the right way to handle estate planning in those complicated estates where there are uh, second marriages, blended families, large and sometimes illiquid assets, high medical needs, all of those things can put a lot of stress on the family and make it really difficult to do a plan, to make a plan that is durable and effective. That's what we do, right, Elizabeth? Yep. We have a 100% perfect track record of all families getting together at Thanksgiving and and raising a toast to our our brilliance and designing the plan. I don't know about that, Robert. We just try and make sure people are understanding of, of what they're actually creating. That's That's half the battle. And with that, um, we'll save the other half of the battle, I think, for another day. This is Robert Fleming and Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, and I are the partners in the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. You've been listening to Elder Law Issues. We, uh, we of course, wish Senator Feinstein, her daughter, her stepchildren, and every, every resident of the state of California well. We hope that all of this um, uh, blows over and... and, um, and resolves itself. Thank you for joining us.